Welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, where we interview technical managers to ask them about their winning strategies, lessons learned, and actionable advice for other leaders. I'm your host, Jakub Greitzar. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, episode number 11. My guest today is Adam Craven. Adam, how are you doing today? Jacob, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm super excited about today's session. I'm actually quite giddy today. I don't know the reason, but I'm always giddy on the days when we have Tech Leaders Hub. So that might be part of the reason. Uh, That is great that you could make it here. While we're waiting, Adam, I wanted to ask you, who do you hope is tuning in? Who do you imagine listening to our conversation and what will they get from it? Yeah, well, the people who are going to get most out of this are people who think of themselves as leaders. And that doesn't have to be the traditional leader. You don't have to be running a team. You could be someone who cares a lot about software engineering, um, cares a lot about being a CTO, um, you know, all a range of people, but just people who care really. People who care about software engineering and making software engineering better for everyone and for their teams. So those are the sort of people I think will get a lot out of it. And I really hope to speak to you today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, from our preliminary conversation, I think if you're listening to this and you're not in software engineering, but you're leading a team, you can still get some value from it. Some of these principles can be applied more universally, but that's just my take on what we've been discussing a little bit before the session. Anyway, and just to reward the people who joined in very, very quickly, I do want to provide value up front. It is my tradition to ask you this one question that Quite a few people have already answered. And that question is, what is your number one tip for tech leaders? What would you say, Adam? Um, My number one tip for tech leaders is to bring your teams into alignment. So what does that look like? Um, A team that is not aligned is, you imagine it, by two people holding a tug of war rope, so a long, thick rope. And those two people are either ends of the rope and they're pulling against each other. And they're, you know, they're causing stress. They're basically getting nowhere. Um, compared to an ally team, which is two people holding a rope on either end and walking off in the same direction. Sure, they'll occasionally get hit by an obstacle, like they might get wrapped around a tree, or they might want to go off in, in a slightly different direction from now and again, but they're always going for the same goal, to aim towards the same thing. So that's what an aligned team is about. And aligned teams, obviously, um, produce more code they are happier teams um but in tech that isn't always visible you don't you can't see inside the minds of people you can't see when people are checked out it's kind of like an invisible wall of of lack of alignment especially if you're leading teams not being able to see what's going on uh, inside the team and you know the, the, the invisible behavior that's happening um so you know principles and, you know, how do we, how do you align teams? Well, principles align teams. And we're definitely going to be talking about more about that today. Okay. So I guess the tip boils down to pay attention to alignment and principles is one way to get there. That's great. That's what we'll be talking about today. Software engineering principles is the the goal of this conversation and the topic will be revolving around. It's actually, you know, quite an interesting story how this came about because Right. The origin of our conversation is, I think, we saw you on Hacker News, uh, like a lot yeah. of people uh, also did. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what's been happening in the recent weeks in terms of your project, principles.dev, uh, landing on Hacker News and how that went? 
Yes, so it appearing on Hacker News was a complete mistake. Uh, well, a complete surprise, should I say. I didn't expect to be on Hacker News, and it got to the front page of Hacker News. It was in the top um, few stories for a long time. And I got 60,000 people visiting the website. Now, wow. thankfully, when I started the website at the very beginning, from a technical perspective, I thought, okay, I need to design this to, to last for, for Hacker News. So I kind of, I did a performance testing and said, okay, this should last a Hacker News thing. And thankfully, the site was fine. It had no problems. So that was, a, from a technical perspective, was was great. Um, but what, a, you know, the site wasn't quite ready at the time. It wasn't ready to take on people. Um, but it's been an amazing experience because from that, I've got job offers, People are speaking to me about it and saying, hey, Adam, yeah, this is really interesting. I, you know, this is the problem that I'm having. You know, can I talk to you more about it? So it was an unexpected thing. Um, and it's from that, it's kind of, you know, this has obviously come from, from this. Um, and it's been great to talk to people. I think when you're, this is a project, my own personal project that I've been working on for some time. And getting such a large audience and such a, a wide amount of feedback has kind of gone, yeah, I can, there's a real desire for this, there's a real need for it. And um, so it's been very exciting. It's kind of gone, oh my God, there's all this stuff that I've got to do now. Um, but it's also gone, and I've also gone, okay, well, I thought I should do this, but now I've got to do this. So having the feedback has been incredible. Um, and yeah, so it's yeah. been an, an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I can only imagine. So I was thinking we might start our conversation by talking about what led you up to this point. Because one image that comes to my mind is this, uh, a lot of people talk about overnight success, right? That, you know, people have this, what seems to be like an overnight success, something blows up just from one day to another. Uh, you land, for example, on the, on the front page of Hacker News, but there is no such thing as overnight success, right? It stems from many years of work, many years of exploring, of putting ideas together. So I was wondering if, you know, if landing on the first page of Hacker News was your tip of the iceberg here, what is underneath? What is your story so far that led you to start principles.dev? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, you're absolutely right with what you say about that. When uh, you see things appearing on Hacker News, that's because I, you know, I'd personally done years and years of work on this subject, and that started like 15 years ago when I when I first started my career as a software engineer. Um, briefly, I worked for BBC iPlayer, uh, Nokia, HSBC, McKinsey, and I've had positions from uh, tech lead, engineer, uh, CTO, and consultant. Um, and I think the thing where it all started for me was uh, a desire to make software engineering better um, and also to make myself better. And I remember when I first started in my career, um, I actually had another career before that. I was working as, a, as an electrical engineer, but I remember going to oh. college as an, as an electrical engineer and I'd have underneath the desk the books out on how to do web development. So while the class was teaching uh, electrical engineering, I was reading about how to do web development. So I realized I'd quite quickly chosen the wrong career. Um, and, you know, my heart was in, it was in web development. And um, when I joined, I didn't realize I could get paid for, for web development, actually. I thought I would just, I loved it so much. And I saw a, one of my friends sent a job spec out for a job in London. I was like, I can get paid for doing this? I, I was really surprised by it because I absolutely loved, I loved, the, uh, loved the job. Um, and the first few parts, of, few parts of my career was really about upskilling myself. And it was kind of a more insular way of working you know I think sometimes when you're a junior you're kind of doing your stuff and you're you're doing it in your own little box and you're developing things um and as I went through 
my career, um, I started working with other people's code. Now, um, if you haven't, if you're a software engineer, the probably the worst thing in the world is often regarded as other people's code. And I really wanted to know why that was the case. You know, what, what, why was it so bad? Why did somebody, why did somebody have such different ways of doing things compared to me? Like why, what was the logic behind it? And I remember asking these questions and say, well, why do you do it like this? And they go X, Y, Z. And the reasons weren't very compelling for me. So I was always fascinated by the differences in the way people approach programming um, and I think people would say about me probably three traits that are quite obvious is I'm I'm a big picture thinker. I'm, I'm really good with the big picture. Sure. Software craftsmanship is really important to me and also getting to the why. Um, and, you know, coming back to working on teams, Russ Cox said at a GopherCon in 2018, uh, software engineering is what happens to programming when you add time and other programmers. So basically oh. working in a team is, you know, it's it's a different thing to working on your own. Programming and software engineering are not, they're not separate things, but they, software engineering is, is building structure out of programs. So my career is really focused on, you know, finding out the why, why people do things the way they do and trying to make, make better teams and, and create better alignment. So did that lead you to start thinking about the principles that people use when they do software engineering? Yeah, well, it was actually a very, it was a hard discovery process. And I went to Nokia um, around 2010 to, to work. I went to Berlin, Germany to work for Nokia. And I wasn't well at the time. I had chronic fatigue, which if you don't know what that is, it's you don't have a lot of energy. And I also had a lot of brain fog. Um, so I was joined a team um, and I, who I considered were much more um, capable than me. And that's always been a, th a thing to do, you know, join a team that you're not quite as good at, good, good as and, and get into that team. Um, and I think I got the job actually not because of my capability, but because my CV was in HTML, and I'd there was a character in there called the mid dot, and I'd use the correct HTML encoding for it. And the person who received my CV was really into typography, so he saw my correct use of mid dot, and he thought, hmm, "I like this guy because he was in you know into detail." So I think I got that job really because I, you know, he's like, I can see this guy really into detail and he really cares about the small things. So yeah, not based on my ability. So I was very happy to join that team. Um, but the problem with joining a team, which is much better than you is you don't feel very capable. So I had to very quickly come up with some ways of working that allowed me to perform at the level of the team. And to do that, I, I got together my old code um, I got together my and I started making process documents. So when I did things, I started writing down um, why I did why I did this. And so when I came back to it in the future, when I saw a problem in the future, the problem would be most of it would be handled with the process documents, um, but the rest of it would you know I could use the rest of my brain to think about the complexity of the problem. Okay. So you started um, kind of documenting your own thinking behind the code that you wrote. Would that be accurate to say? 
Yeah, it was the the process of how I was working, really. And this, you know, if this happens, do this, um, or here are the checklists when you're when you're doing this to make sure you get things working right. Um, and that allowed me to work at high levels of complexity. And and I didn't know this until later, but the human mind has about four slots of memory. This it's about four slots of memory, working memory. So in those four slots of working memory, you're kind of you can do it, you can do, you can hold things in your mind. But once that starts filling up with a fifth object, you're kind of moving that around and you're and you're kind of losing focus on things. It's very hard to, to be efficient as a as you know as a human with a human mind. Um, so it, reducing the complexity by putting things into process into documents really helped me um, get to high levels of complexity. And I don't use complexity in a bad way here. Complexity for me is the ability to work at higher levels. Um, and, and that enabled me to work on the uh, most complex part of the application. So in the end, I ended up working on the most complex part of the application. My team saw me as very capable, um, and that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, so I thought, well, if this works when I'm not very well, imagine how well it will work when I am well or how it will work on other people. So that was the point where I was like, hmm, I've got, I've got something here. I've got something. Yeah, you've got, you're onto something there. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. So what happened then? Well, um, that's when I joined another team and I had a lot of confidence at that point. I thought, look, I've got all these amazing documents, all these process documents and all these ideas. Um, I'm going to tell the team how to do it. I'm going to tell the team how to set up the architecture and we're going to have this amazing, beautiful architecture. And if you guys out there have ever been a, uh, your first few steps as a tech and lead, um, you'll often find that that idea of you can go, here's this perfect architecture. And everybody goes, this is amazing. Thank you. And everybody follows it is, is almost never happens. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I found that out quite quickly. I, f- I found that uh, my ideas were not really working in the team. The architecture was sound. It was good, but I couldn't communicate it very well to the team. And um, I was by far the most productive member of that team, but I was hindering my team with my process. They were not able to deliver at the same. And, and I noticed and I thought, this is it was really frustrating for me because I want teams to be harmonious. I want people to become more capable in teams, and I want us to you know to to, to, to work in alignment. And it and it wasn't happening, so it didn't go very well. Basically, the first the first time that I tried to put a bunch of process in the um, you know in front of people, it didn't really work. Yeah. So did that then lead you to start thinking about these processes as principles to kind of frame them in a different way? Or how did that progress? Yeah, well, I kind of um, gave up on that idea for a while. I decided to adopt frameworks. I, you know, I pointed to a framework and said, hey, let's use this framework. And that gave me, um, I think it's a, a thing that a lot of software engineers do, a lot of tech leads do. They go, okay, well, I can't build this I can't use my ideas. Let's just point to this framework like Angular, Redux, Django, that sort of stuff. Um, and it it makes a tech lead not responsible as much anymore. They go, well, you can look at this. Here's all the documentation for it. You go off and do it. And it's actually helpful at the beginning because 
you know, you, the team kind of goes, well, I know what, roughly what I'm doing there. But when you adopt a framework, you're also adopting other people's ideas as well. And, excuse me, in a lot of those frameworks, those ideas aren't obvious. So the starting, po the starting point of a, of a framework is, oh, great, we've got this. Everyone can tell you all the upsides of a framework and their downsides when they start a framework. Um, and the starting point is, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start using this. I'm going to learn this framework and I'm going to put things into it. But inevitably, these frameworks are not created to solve your business problem. They're created to solve someone else's business problem and they built it for their particular business case. Um, so that was the, uh, yeah, that was when I realised that frameworks caused their own problems as well. Um, so what did I do? How did I start aligning them? In the, well, I didn't for a while. I just gave up. I thought, I spoke to a lot of people and said, hey, how do you align your teams? And everyone goes, framework, or I don't know, or I'm really frustrated, I can't do it. Okay. Um, so I kind of gave up for a bit. And then in 2015, I joined McKinsey and Company. So for those that don't know, McKinsey and Company are regarded as the best management consultancy in the world. Um, so they expect a lot out of you. And it's quite an unusual job because they send you to places for say 12 weeks uh, to, to figure out a task, to, to perform a task, to build some software and then move on somewhere else. It's not always like that, but it's very, you know, you're traveling all over Europe and you're interacting with different people from a very high level of business, you know, C-suite level. Um, and you're building things, you're trying to solve people's problems. And I happened to land on one team one time that was, it was amazing it was we were aligned and that was the first time in my career that I was on a team that thought similarly to me and the experience of that was amazing I just I loved coming to work every day and um, we were talking about you know the things that I always wanted to talk about and they cared about it and unfortunately you know as soon as the, you know the team formed then the team disbanded again, which was the nature of the job. Um, I see. So people, yeah. So at that point, it kind of I was like, okay, there's something there, but what is it? Um, so I was. Yeah. What was that something that was in that team that that inspired you so much? Yeah. So it took me a long time to figure it out, and I realised eventually that we had similar backgrounds, and I thought about that about the backgrounds perspective. And then I realized that, you know, most of the things that we do in software engineering is habitual. So uh, an example might be if, you, if, you're, if you're a junior engineer and you solve a problem for the first time, you might solve it in a particular, you might figure out a way to solve it. And you might repeat that process over and over again um, until you, you know, it becomes a habit for you. But if you think about what is a habit or what are automatic behaviours, hmm. habits are something that are detached from the logic that created it. So the logic that created it is no longer attached to the habit and you have this automatic behaviour. So you, you forget the why behind it and you kind of just have this, this way of developing, this way of, of thinking about things. Um, and I realised why it didn't work on the original team you know why was did i have problems with that with that first project it's because my process documents didn't have much reasoning in them 
I was talking about things like you should structure the code like this and uh, we should do the architecture like this. And something like architecture is what I would call an emergent behavior. It's an interaction of less complex behaviors to form a more complex behavior. So when someone says to you, here's an architecture, and when I'm talking about architecture, I'm talking about structuring of code, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of implied knowledge that comes from that person there. And people, when people can interrogate that knowledge. So an example might be, um, I would have a very strong desire to set things into small files where I could test the code and, and test my, you know, just test the logic behind it. And I, and, and I, but I couldn't articulate why I wanted to do that. And, and I, I'd want to put the test next to it. And I couldn't articulate why I, wanna, why I wanted to do that. Whereas the reason, what, looking back, the reason I, why I wanted to do that was tests are documentation for me. They provide value. You can look at it. They're interactive documentation because they interact with the code. So it provides a lot of value for people coming into that code base. And also there are other principles like you're building a machine in one place, you can test that machine and you're focusing on one area. Whereas if people don't think like that, they might just take that code and put it in the middle of, a, of a, another larger file. Um, and then you have to test through five or six different layers of abstraction before you can actually test that bit of core logic that mm -hmm. you want to. So I realized that I wasn't giving the reasons to it. I wasn't because my behavior was automatic and I thought in a certain way, other people couldn't interrogate that behavior. And if I couldn't explain really at a deep level why I thought that was the case, then why, why would anybody listen to me? You know, why would anybody listen to me? And the people on the team who, you know, who it wasn't aligned with, um, it wasn't like they weren't trying. They were absolutely trying to follow these, these ideas and stuff, but it wasn't working. So people wanted to solve it, but... I couldn't explain why they should do it. I couldn't give them enough enough reasons. So um, that's really when I realised that um, the you know the project was kind of born. So the success, so the key to successful alignment in, in brief, and we'll cover more, I guess, a bit later, is you know bring those behaviours to the forefront, make those behaviours obvious, and talk about the principles um, that yeah, and, and expose, I suppose, the logic that you know, over time got detached from the behavior, as you mentioned. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So you have to talk about the reasons behind it. And, you know, that's what Principles Dev is all about, helping. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that brings us up to speed in terms of the story so far, I think. And it's an excellent opportunity to dig right into that and to ask you about principles.dev then. It sounds like, you know, you had some ideas from working at, at different companies that you now wanted to kind of share with the world and to share your discoveries with the world. Uh, but let me just pass it over to you. So if you could explain, you know, to the people who are just tuning in, who didn't see, for example, the promotional material before, what is principles.dev and how did you, you know, ultimately create it? And what is its purpose? Yeah, so um, principles.dev has been pretty, that's been bugging me for years to start. I've been, Adam, so Adam, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. So basically the idea was, or its mission, it was born from the idea of making teams more capable, making software engineering better for everybody by sharing the reasons why we do things and to get principles from uh, the best in the world at what they do uh, and to share that knowledge freely. So everyone can look at the behavioral pattern behind things. So for example, imagine if you could see, um, insert favorite programmers' names 
uh, say your favorite programs and then how they do things. You know, you're you're picking up little bits of their capability and adding it to your own. And I think software engineering is a lot about having the right principles. You know, you could you can get years and years worth of knowledge if you can just organize it in a separate in, in the correct way. So, you know, the top 10 principles of using GraphQL, the top 10 principles of database designs, uh, my CTO checklist. There's a, there's a numerous ways you can slice reality. So I want to bring, because principles on their own are useful, but principles organized by slicing reality is what's really valuable. You know, the ability to take those principles and say, this is contextually useful right now. You know, so, so principles are more or less useful at different periods of time. Um, and really it's principles of people who care. And I think if you're watching this, you're the sort of person who cares about this sort of thing. You care about um, making software engineering better and getting better results out of it. Um, and I think, well, I know that one of the reasons I started this as well was, um, and a lot of engineers will have experienced this if, they've, if they're fairly senior, is um, it keeps people relevant. So if you're a senior engineer and you've been through several cycles of technology, um, you'll it's a very frustrating process. So you might be using a framework and... You learn that framework, you learn the positives and negatives of that framework, and you're like, okay, I've got it. And you go beyond that framework because you can apply um, your principles to your ideas and you understand it. And then what happens is another framework comes along and it goes, well, here's a new framework. And everybody's talking about all the good things about this new framework. Like, oh, this framework is the best framework ever. It's going to solve all the problems. And so, well, what's the downside of it? Oh, you know, it's, there's, you know, there's no downside. It's all upside, upside, upside. So the marketing machine kind of works to push people towards these new frameworks. Um, and as a senior engineer, if you've been through this cycle several times, what happens is you have to learn, you have to abandon what you knew before and you have to adapt to this new framework. And what this new framework is really doing underneath it is saying, adapt all these automatic behaviors, implicit behaviors that we may or may not have explained to you, but you've got to learn again from scratch. Whereas, you know, the difference with a senior engineer for a junior engineer is me. For for me, is the ability to um, to to exist outside of a framework. Really, you, you have your own principles. You know how to to build outside of a framework, and you can use a framework as a tool. Whereas a junior developer will want to like, oh, let's go to this framework. It's the best thing ever. Um, so you, you know, it's, and it's the same with technology choices and things like that. You're just more reasoned about it. And I thought principles.dev is trying to also solve that problem as well, where if you can capture that capability that you learned from using that framework and you can put it in an area that you can refer back to again and again and again, then you can keep on refreshing your capability. So when uh, someone says to you, oh, let's use this new framework and you go, well, you know, here are the principles, uh, here are the principles that I think we should abide to. And you can start to exist outside of the framework. So instead of having the framework guiding what you should do, you have your own principles framework. So you see the difference. So you've got a framework, but you've got your own principles framework that allows you to exist outside of that of that framework and to use it as a tool rather to, than to uh, integrate with it. So okay. Yeah. So the way I see it is, I'm a junior engineer, and you know I'm not a developer myself. So do correct me if I get any of this wrong. But the way I imagine it is, I'm a junior engineer, 
And I start using a framework because I don't know what else to follow for now. And this framework teaches me a, a set of principles that are kind of implicit within that framework. Sometimes they're a little bit more explicit, right? Like, like yeah. Django always touts that it's got this batteries included approach, right? And I've never used Django in my life, but I've written enough times about it to know that. Uh, so then when I move from out of that framework, let's say Django fall, falls out of popularity, I still have these principles in my mind and then examining a new framework, I can check the principles within that framework, see how similar or different that is from what I know. And it's, it's, it is a lot like that, except for a lot of the time, the principles aren't explicit. So the there are a few frameworks that do that. I know, for example, Redux has three principles. Um, I can't remember them exactly. I think it's single source of truth, truth no state changes, and state changes through reducers. And those are very, that's very interesting because once you know those three principles, you can kind of extend the framework. You can kind of, you know, you build on top of that framework and extend the framework. Now, you mentioned Django, and Django, um, I, there's Django and Flask, right? They're, they're two, two frameworks yeah. that you can use to develop with. And if you have a lot of principles and if you have a good way of working, you may decide that you're going to go with Flask, Flask, and you're going to use that as a framework to, you're going to use your own principles for it. With Django, Django has a lot of its own principles. So you might go, well, we're going to use Django for now because that's the one that we really know and we really understand. So we're going to, and we don't have to, and there's a lot of documentation for it and it's a great framework to get started with. Um, so I think as you get more advanced, you might decide that you want to, to go to, to Flask, but you have to make sure that you've got the right uh, you know, you're bringing with it the right principles because people joining that, uh, if they can't see those principles, they can't see that structure, they're not going to be able to uh, develop it as nicely as say, they might be able to in Django. Yeah, yeah, so, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I can kind of see how these principles relate to frameworks, how they can help us examine them, maybe break them apart and pick and choose the principles that we want to follow. Is there anywhere else within how a team functions where principles can be useful and how can they be applied? Yeah, well, let me, I, I really want to cover what is a principle. I want Sure, yeah, we probably should start with that. Yeah. yeah, because I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the behavior um, of, of principles, but, but what exactly is a principle? Now, uh, principle, unfortunately, is a slightly overloaded term. If you've come from a different background, you may have a different, slightly different conception of what a principle is. Um, and there are multiple meanings of it. So it's fine that we have slightly, we know we might have slightly different meanings. Of it. But basically for me, what a principle is, it's a belief, idea, theory, um, uh, law or rule um, that gets you that's basically a packet of behavior so it's basically some behavior wrapped up with logic so it's like a reasoning behind it so you have a little packets of behavior with reasoning behind it and those if you've ever played a computer game like an rpg where you level up it's a little bit like that if you add more principles to your uh yourself it's like leveling up your tech skills because you can go, okay, I've got this new behavior now that I can add this a new way of thinking about something and it can completely change the, the way you approach software engineering. So it's like you're, it's basically little packets of information, of behavior or actions that um, you can use to make yourself more capable. Um, so there, be, there are behavior recipes um, and they're really useful for uh, leveling yourself up as a, as a uh, developer and, and you know principles aren't new you know they've been around for a long time people have been talking about them for a long time um but the thing that i really want to get across is principles 
are contextually useful. That's the value in them, using them at the right time, using them when they are valuable um, and level up your behavior. Um, so attached to, you know, you've got the logic and you've got this behavior and you can you can talk to people on your team. You can say, hey, look, this is the thing that I think we should use. And they go, why? And you go, well, look at this principle. This, this tells you exactly why you should use it. So yeah, it's, it's a really uh, powerful thing. Um, and they're well, very well, one important. One thing I'm inferring from what you're saying, sorry to, to kind of uh, jump in here for, for a second, mm -hmm. is you're saying they're contextual. So is it also part of level up, leveling up your skill as a developer to know when to apply each principle and when maybe to ignore a principle or use a different one? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, it's absolutely that. When it, when are principles relevant? That is definitely a skill. And, and one of the reasons why principles dev exist is um, you're and you're able to get these principles and uh, these lists and create these lists and share those lists. So, for example, if I wanted to go into GraphQL, which I haven't done yet, but if I wanted to do that, wouldn't it be nice if I could go to GraphQL and read the top 10 principles of how to structure GraphQL? You know, I've got all the documentation for it. I can read the documentation for it, but I want to know from some experts how to build up my capability faster. Faster. So if I see that, if I if I can have the opportunity to do that, then that's gonna I'm gonna upskill myself very very quickly because I I know these people and I trust these people. So the goal is to get people who are experts in their particular area. Um, so if you're an expert in GraphQL, if you're an expert in Postgres, if you're an expert at you know, low level machine coding get them up and to talk about what they think is useful for that particular area. So yeah, it's, it's a very much, how do you use principles? When is the right time to use principles? That's what needs to be, you know, that's what's going to be community sourcey. But it's for people who are experts in their area, say a, a top level Django developer talks about the principles then that you, they're using with, with um, their particular, uh, their framework, but it's not just using technology It's how do you interact with teams and hmm having that behavior uh, talked about from the beginning or talked about, you know, each team would adopt their own principles. It's not to say there are best principles. Some team might adopt a certain set of principles and other teams will adopt a different set of principles. As long as they're aligned, it's it's more important to be aligned than to have 100% the correct principles. It's, it, you know, the alignment working in a team is, is more important than that. So. Yeah. That sounds um, very quotable. It's it's more important that, to be aligned than to have 100% correct principles. That, that's <laughs> that's definitely something to, to remember from this session. So just boiling it down to what principles dev is in its kind of form so that people can have an idea if they haven't opened it in a second window yet. Would it be fair to say that it's a catalog of principles that you can pick and choose or would you describe it differently? Uh, it is a... The technical word describe it is it's a way to slice reality, and what I mean by that is however reality works for you. So you might think about it as a set of principles you might use in code review, a set of principles you might use in an early stage of a project. You might think about it as your your favorite principles, or so it's really about the community coming up with with the um, you know the ideas, um, and that's okay. You know that's okay to have. Uh, lots of different principles and lots of different ideas. Um, and if you look on the website at the moment, there because it got on Hacker News and because I'm doing this, the, the website is in its early phases, but it's absolutely looking to create more contributors. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be contacting a lot of people and say, hey, guys, I really like your principles. Can you put them on the website? And getting those people to organize them so people can see uh, how 
how people are building software. So. Okay, so anybody listening to this who is a high-level software engineer or a tech lead, if they have some principles that they follow, they should visit and they should leave them on principles.dev too, right? To start building that database. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll happily help as well, you know, talk about them. And I think the thing about principles is once you start writing them, you really, you really learn what you believe about your own software engineering skills. Um, and I've been through this process many times. I come up with a principal idea. I start writing it down. And I go, oh, actually, that isn't that isn't right. That doesn't make sense. It's not uh, this logic doesn't make sense. So you learn about a, lo a lot about your own software engineering uh, practices by writing your own principles out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I encourage everybody watching and listening to this session to do that. Meanwhile, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the specifics, and I wanted to ask you if there are any specific principles that you follow that you know are favorites of yours and what is the reasoning behind them, we should definitely cover the logic behind the behavior. So do you have any particular principles that you adhere to? Yes. Um, the principle that founded this website was something that I call make the invisible visible. And what that's about is making relevant information that is currently hidden visible to other people and that's kind of like my founding principle that's how i conduct my life with this this is this is what i'm all about in software engineering um so that's a very very important principle to me and kind of but it's a high level principle right it's like you know i can take this everywhere with me and i can do it through teams but it's not super focused um some of the other principles Oh, before we get to that, yeah. I wanted to ask about the logic behind the principle then. If you want to make the invisible visible, what is the reasoning behind it? What is the benefit behind that? Yeah, so making the invisible visible, um, it would be easiest if I could just look at the website and get it up, but obviously I'm not going to do that right now. Um, okay. It's about making, it's about revealing things so that people can see them because it allows for more productive teams. It allows for people to interrogate behavior. It allows them to see something that I call um, abstract space. Um, it allows them to see, uh, to communicate in, in things. And if you can see things, you can interrogate things. If I can see the way I do something or understand the way that I do something, you can interrogate it. Whereas if you have a lot of hidden behavior, you can't see that. Uh, you can't see what's going on. Um, right. And I and I mentioned abstract space, and and this is really what what I think software engineering is all about, um, or where it happens. So abstract space is a three dimensional reality that exists in the mind and the mind of others that comes together to build up a picture of of what the um, the abstract entity you're building. So in software engineering. That's the the bit the bit of code that you're building. That's a bit of um, the structure you're building. Because source code on its own is flat. It doesn't show you. There's two D lines of text. It doesn't show you what's happening in a software system. It doesn't show you what's uh, going through the um, what's happening at any moment. So um, the way I think about software engineering is a little bit like a construction site. Um, except for when you walk onto this construction site, the lights are completely off. You can't see anything that's going on and you kind of have to feel your way around the system. Um, uh, you know, feel a way around this construction site. You're kind of feeling the, the posts around it and, you, and you're making a mental image. Um, and it takes a long time to form a full picture of what that software 
engine that software that system is like and a lot of time you never do it but principles are like the light that shines upon that so you can you know you, that light that makes things obvious to you because if you understand the behavior or the logic and the reasoning behind why something is happening you'll start to see the the pillar that you're that you're feeling or you might see some of the flaw or some of some of the structure in place because you understand why things are occurring um so principles are my and, and that's coming back to making the invisible visible it's like yeah. the principles are like they're like shining lights on the source code or on the structure to make it more visible for other people to follow and understand so that's yeah, that, that puts a very vivid mental image in my mind so yeah that's yeah. that's quite memorable uh, and you mentioned other principles that you wanted to get into. Sorry that I stopped you for just a second there, uh, but definitely do go and get into any others that might be, you know, useful for you, have served you well in the past, you would recommend others try out. Yeah, um, as I said, con a lot of principles are contextually useful, but one of the ones that I use very often is um, uh, one of, it's called separating core logic um, from the framework so basically what i'm saying is if i have a framework don't put everything inside that framework and the analogy i use for that is uh, if you put everything inside the framework it's a little bit about putting building everything in a house so you put all your logic in the framework all the valuable code in the framework it's a little bit like filling the house with loads of your items and then nailing those items down to that house you know that's all attached and embedded in that in that in that house but if you move on to a new framework you have to throw away everything because you've moved on to another framework and you've lost the uh, you've lost all that capability. All you have is your memory from it. So if you move that away from the framework, you're building this, this value outside of the framework. The framework's a tool, but the business value, something that has longevity and something that you can build with your own principles framework is, is being built. So that's a really important one for me on, on Teams because I'm like, well, let's, let's you know, we're beyond this using just frameworks as, and integrating everything into it. Let's use the framework as a tool um, to enable more, um, you know, to, to enable code that lasts for a long time and also enables us to, to bring our own principles into it because you, you feel more comfortable. And that with a framework without principles, it takes you a long time to learn it. But if you have your own principles and the team shares those principles, you kind of you start moving quite quickly. You're like you feel you feel familiar with it. It's a it's a it's a nice feeling basically. So that's that's a very important one for me on Teams. Okay, and I wanted to ask you on the flip side because these two you know can I think be very useful. And if uh, any of you watchers and listeners want to explore more, there's a website for that now. Uh, but I wanted to also ask: Are there any principles that you might particularly disagree with that don't usually serve you well? Uh, if you could talk about that. Yeah, um, I tend to think of it as they are. I don't have any strong principles that I disagree with, but there are principles that are perhaps outdated or principles that I wouldn't use at certain times. So there's a principle called, called the Liskov substitution principle. And that's in, you may have heard of this before, it's in the solid principles of object-oriented design. And it's about um, being able to replace a superclass with a subclass and that uh, the system still function. Uh, the same way or still be able to function and i think it's what i would call our data principle because a lot of people don't use inheritance like that anymore um so it's kind of like it's a principle that that was valuable back then but if you're not using software engineering with a lot of inheritance in it uh, it's probably 
not that uh, not that valuable. Uh, but also as well, it's a re- it's, it's named really triggerly, and it's actually really hard to get the the meaning of it. If you come to it for the first time, you're like, what is this Liskov substitution principle? Um, right. oh, you know, I wonder if it was just they needed a, an L in the solid principles. You know, they needed that, that letter. But it was a very yeah, it's a principle that I think is probably outdated now. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering, were there any others that, oh, well, one question that I do have uh, that I'm curious about is, you might disagree with this principle, but you will be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you'll be okay putting that principle on principles.dev for others to explore, agree or disagree with. Absolutely. Um, I actually want people to put principles that I don't think uh, or I don't understand yet. Because if the, the test would be to put a principle on there and I go, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Um, that is something that is really valuable for me because I get to learn something from it. The community gets to learn from it. It's not about me deciding what are the best principles. Eventually, there'll be a voting system on the website that will allow people to upvote and, and uh, the, the principles that are most valuable. But I kind of want it to be an evolution. Like, let's just get those principles on the website. Let's see what's um, what the community finds valuable and what will happen as well. Once you've put the software engineering principles as well, you might come back to it again and again and again. If once you've put it on there, you can keep on editing it, right? You can keep on changing it and making it better. And I do that very often. I come back to my thought process and I go, yeah, I need to, I need to refine this. I need to make this clearer. And you'll find that, you know, the principles really enable you to become a better developer, or, excuse me, or a better engineer or a better leader because you're following this you're you're really breaking apart your thought process and you're you're detaching you're attaching your logic and reasoning to those automatic behaviors which you can then use to be more convincing for other people and yeah right uh so that's something that i also wanted to follow up on is i mean you mentioned a, a lot of the benefits behind using principles and how they help engineering teams i was wondering if you could expand on that and also to talk a little bit about the how of it all there might be people people watching this who are convinced by what you've said and yeah. then how do they start applying it to their day-to-day work what do they put on their to-do list do they start a sheet do they start a doc uh so if you could talk about both the why and the how to you know to st- start closing yeah, up the sure. session, so, it would be useful yeah um so the how a team basically principles build alignment and capability so you can build better software and what that means is you have more fun teams more productive teams um, you're delivering uh, an organizational goal, um, you are producing more, and everybody's happier. Um, and so that harmony brings happiness to the team. Um, so principles help uh, help do that. Um, and if you, if you think about another team, I mentioned the idea of abstract space, two people having different structures in their mind, different conceptions of what a code base looks like. Yeah. Um, if you imagine a... Uh, one person might look at the code base and see, I might see two rooms with a connecting pipe between it, talking about the construction analogy again. So I might see that two separate rooms with a pipe between it. So there's like, there's a communication path happening between that, with that pipe. Somebody else might just see that as one room. And if you see, if that person sees it as one room, how are they going to go on the code base? And if you guys have been on a, a, a software engineering team before, there's always somebody on the team who just, go straight through that structure. They don't see the, the structure that exists in place. So they go through the code base and they just just cause it to, to 
to pull these dependencies in for everyone. You're like, oh no, there's structure here, and you've completely violated it. So um, having alignment with through principles, it starts you're, you're creating pictures in people's minds. Um, an analogy for a, uh, an aligned team versus an unaligned team is, uh, or an organization. I call it the swamp versus skyscraper. So a swamp represents a lack of solid foundations and you're building up a, uh, if you're an online organization, you're building up houses on top of this swamp. You're building up all these little structures on this, this, this swamp and you are connecting with wires and pipes and things like that. And you're just building, building, building. There's no alignment, you're just building. And as organization gets bigger and bigger, um, this this lack of alignment is causing much more complexity. You know, you might build a house really far away and then you've got a pipe that's coming, you know, that's going two miles now. You just need a whole different system to get it working. It's It becomes uh, unmanageable and the houses all look different and they don't really work together. Whereas an aligned organization is a little bit more like a skyscraper. A skyscraper, you build in the trunking. So you have the power conduits going through the central atrium. You have the lifts working. You have the networking cable and the, and the waterworks all defined. And you're building in modularly so that the organization is working together and fitting things together. Um, and that's the difference between, you know, you can build something much more complex uh, and I use complex in a good word a way again, is, you know, you can get to high level of complexity because you can manage that complexity because you you know how you're, you're aligned. Um, so it's basically principles make also make things software last a long time, a long time. Um, so, yeah, but how can you, how can you use principles to make things better? Well, there's lots of ways, but probably some of the most important ways are finding alignment from the very beginning. Um, and that is bring it into the code, code interview process. How do people think? You know, um, if you think about what a principle is, why do people choose principles? Well, it's automatic behavior, but it's also based fundamentally on what they think at a, on a much lower level. But the great thing about principles is if people align on principles, that's high level behavior that people can interrogate. So if I say separate core logic from a framework and they're like, yep, I agree with that. You know, you're going to come to an alignment straight away with how you'll build, build, a, uh, build a team. So start it at the, at the interview process. Um, talk about it in code reviews. Code reviews are um, quite useful, but if you can point them to principles while you're doing this, saying this is this is how, you know, just copy paste a bunch of a link to the principle to go, oh yeah, okay, this is the thing that I'm violating, rather yeah, than spending yeah. time. Um, you can use it to create, uh, to use it, bring it to your team and create uh, rationale. You can help people understand why things are done in a certain way and you can bring alignment to the team by putting your interrogatable behavior, you know, this is the reason I believe this, this is why I believe this, to the team so that they learn, they can go, oh yeah, I get it now. I get it now. And it's very effective. It's a very effective way of working because it brings, you can see where the alignment is happening when it isn't happening. And, and that's why it's also quite important to do it at the, at the very beginning of the process, the interview process. Do you, are you, do you think, it's not to say you should think exactly like me because you want a mixture of, 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 of people on the team, but it's, do you fundamentally, agree with me do you, do you are you fundamentally going to get on with me um that is very important to a team and it's probably one of the most valuable things you can do with your team because that is um 
going to make your team better. And just to finish off on that one, also catch your principles as you're going through the process. Build up those those principles, write them in a principle list and say, here are the principles of our team. So when someone comes to the code base for the first time, they've got those flashlights that they can go around with and bring on, on board to their mental process and start to understand what's going on in that code base much quicker and feel much more confident in that code base. So it's basically creating an asset for the long-term future rather than just something that's gone when the team disappears. Right, yeah, the logic behind this, I think, is, is very sound because it shows new people coming in, not just what was built, but why it was built the yeah. way it was built. I can also imagine it can do wonders for your authority as a leader where it, you can, it makes your team members feel that you are a lot more consistent as a leader because it's not just individual feedback sessions where you point out these principles, but they are actually written somewhere. The logic behind them is spelled out. They can interrogate that. If you want to have a conversation, it's not a conversation me versus you and what we think. It's about this principle. And do we agree with it? Should we modify it? Should we switch it out, right? It does make you more... Uh, it does make you a better leader, but it also makes you more vulnerable as a leader. And it's something to think about. Uh, you know, it's what you're saying is, here's what I believe. You know, here's what I believe about. And someone can go to you and go, this is stupid. And then you go, and then you go, okay, well, tell me why you think it's stupid. Um, and having those honest conversations, hearing that about what you think is is not a nice thing, but that honesty helps you get to alignment quicker. So it's like, yeah, you could be you could be the engineer, which I was, which was like do everything my way. You know, at the beginning, which do everything my way. This is great. This is perfect. If you don't if you don't do it my way, it's just you know, it's, this is the best way of doing it. Whereas if you start going to the team, and say okay, well look, you know, this is the way I believe we should do things. You're enabling your team to become more capable. You know, you're enabling them to have those questions about the team uh, and to see what's going on. You're making the invisible visible, so you're not hiding behind. Um, right. as, as you know, we always feel people want to feel like they're smart, especially in software engineering. They don't like to admit they're wrong. Um, and this is this adds some vulnerability to it. But I say that the vulnerability is actually valuable. It aligns team, it brings people together, and it makes software engineering better for everybody, which is really what principles is all about. Yeah, you mentioned it makes you more vulnerable, but like you mentioned that complexity doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think this is also the kind of vulnerability that is also not exactly bad. It's, it can be powerful to to open your thinking up like that to your team uh, so that they they can, I think you, know, you can only build trust and alignment, like you said, when mm -hmm. it's out in the open, you know, and everybody can explore your thinking behind it. Although I suppose you should also just brace for the fact that sometimes your team is going to be more right than you are, <laughs> and they're going to yeah. propose a change that that makes sense. And that's great, isn't it? Because they're more, they could be more capable. Like on a team, you're going to have people who are more capable in, in different areas. So someone might be really strong with SQL, and um, so you're kind of relying on their on their abilities rather than as a tech lead. You know, tech leads sometimes conceived as someone who should know everything. Uh, and, and has to be the person who knows about everything. That's not true. They're the person who can help uh, bring the team to alignment and, and make sure the team is, you know, you supposed to, you should be hiring people who are better at you than certain things, like SQL or JavaScript or, or whatever. Why would you hire someone if they're not better than you? Because then you, you're creating a much more capable team. So it's about being able to bring the team together um, with those principles and being honest about it. True, yeah. Uh, we're closing in on the one hour mark. So I would like to be, you know, I mean, I would like, I, I could talk, right? <laughs> but to respect your time and our viewers' time, uh, we'll be wrapping up just, you know, slowly. But I did want to ask you, 
to try and sum up everything that we've covered, let's say that I am a tech lead and I, and I have these issues. So I'm looking at my team and there's lack of alignment. There's this invisible wall that is, is making communication more difficult because people have different principles in their heads. Let's say I'm in the thick of it, okay, and I have this problem. What would you recommend as the first practical step to start fixing this problem? Is it a meeting? Is it a doc? Is it something else? Yeah, so when I go onto Teams, one of the first things that I do is to try and find a principle that generally everybody agrees with. Um, so uh, one of those principles is um, consistent code conventions automatically enforced. So that might be using, if you're in JavaScript, JS Lint, uh, Python, I can't remember, Black, or, or those loads of different linters, and just yeah. talk about that and say, hey, look, here's a principle that we're going to start with. And what you've got, you get people and you go, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that principle. You talk about it, the reasons for it, and you start getting alignment on that. And you start getting, you start introducing them to the process um, of uh, using principles on your team. Um, and from that point, um, it's about making and adding another principle. You go, okay, well, what about this thing? And you start to think about how you set up your project, how you you start creating your own principle lists and you start saying, okay, well, this is what we agreed to. And so when it comes to a code review, you might go, instead of writing a you know two paragraphs worth of text, copy paste the principle, say, look, this is violating this principle for me. Have a look at it, tell me what you think. Um, so you're starting to get it, you're starting to show people to think about it and to start people questioning their own automatic behaviors. You know, you really have to get people to question their automatic behaviors um, and to start to see them as, as, as automatic behaviors. Like people will, sh will argue about things until they're blue in their face about two spaces, four spaces. You know, you have to try and find out the why behind that and encourage people to find out the why they think that. Um, and if you, if you start coming with principles, you start saying to people, actually, guys, I care about why you think about it. You just have to explain, you just have to be able to articulate that properly. And then that gets people to be very self-reflective and to start to think about their processes and the way that they do things. Um, so, the so that would be the first practical step is to start with a small principle and get alignment on that. So you've got one principle that you can align on and then you can start building from there. Yeah, and what I can also infer is write it down, right? Actually have it written somewhere in your company, you know, documents or your team documents. Yeah, um, you can use principles dev for that. You can create a list for my team and put it. start putting principles in there as well so you can start capturing those principles on the website. Exactly. Yeah, that is absolutely a practical takeaway from this. And like I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of what you were saying, uh, as you were saying it, I was thinking, well, this applies to so much more than just than just code. And when I'm thinking about myself, my team, we're, we don't write code, we write content, but there's also principles behind the different decisions of how we structure yeah. our content. And that also could bear some writing down now that I think about it, which just makes it a typical tech leaders hub session. I, I, I also learned myself uh, a lot. We you're absolutely right. Principles are not just software engineering based. I think the thing about software engineering is it's very focused on, um, you know, it's so abstract and things are yeah, so invisible. So that I really want to focus on that area. But there are there's absolute principles apply everywhere. It's making the invisible visible within your organization so you can understand the why behind things and the logic behind decisions. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
it's all the more important that we had this hour to talk about this and we're just past the one hour mark. So I wanted to leave also, uh, well, first of all, I wanted to thank you just for, for making it That's here, cool. for sharing what you know, and, and for sharing your, your story and your principles as well, and your thinking behind it. I wanted to ask you, uh, as is tradition uh, on Tech Leaders Hub, do you have any announcements for our audience? Programmers are listening to this, Tech Leaders are listening, what would you like to tell them? Yeah, so the project Principles Dev is a community project. It's not about me. Um, I'm here to facilitate making software engineering better for everybody. So if you feel, if you feel, if you if something I said today has has kind of hit a chord with you, um, I'd love to chat to you. You can you know reach my email. You can we can have face to face, um, or you can submit you can submit principles and, and I can help you through that process. Um, and it's, you know, it's a new, if you're getting in now, you're actually going to start creating something that's going to be very valuable for people in the future because the people who are putting in the first principles, those principles are going to be used for people much further down the line. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the first, first mover advantage, really. It's like, here are my principles. And it's like, yep, yeah, you become the, the thought leader of that particular principles. Um, you can, if you want to keep up, uh, follow me at principles underscore dev. Uh, you can find that link on the website as well, um, which I talk about principles more and keep up with the project. Um, yeah, so, and I would love to hear, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you more if you, if you are like, yes, I, 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 Adam, I get this. I, I, I know what you're talking about. Thank goodness someone's talking about this. You know, let's, let's have a chat and uh, I'm more than happy to speak to you. So. That is excellent. And, and I bet there's at least a few people saying, thank goodness <laughs> that, that somebody talked about this. I would be remiss not to also say a few words about SDX Next because people might be uh, tuning into Tech Leaders Hub for the first time. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a problem of a different nature in the sense that you're a tech leader and you're building a product, you're thinking of building a product, you're thinking of building a startup, and you'd like you would like some help with defining what you want to build designing it, then developing it, maybe deploying it, debugging it, all of those things we can help with, especially if your tech stack is in Python and JavaScript. Django and Flask were mentioned today. We have expertise in that. So if anybody here is watching and would like to explore that, stxnext.com. But I don't want to spend too much time being self-promotional, so that's as much as I'm going to say. And I'm going to thank you again, Adam, for making it to Tech Leaders Hub. You've been a wonderful guest, and it was a very stimulating conversation. So thank you so much for that. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, that's great. That'll be all for today, everyone. Uh, don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn to get more Tech Leaders Hub. You can also join the Tech Leaders Hub group on Facebook. You can also subscribe on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're basically everywhere except TikTok. Uh, so <laughs> you can look for us there. TikTok is not in our immediate future, but who knows? Looking at it from uh, a year's perspective, I might be saying, why didn't we get into TikTok sooner? Anyway, enough rambling from me. Thank you again, Adam. Thank you all for watching, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Leaders Hub. If you want more advice that will make you a better technical leader, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Tech Leaders Hub sessions are usually streamed live, giving you the opportunity to get answers to your burning questions directly from our guests. To take part in Tech Leaders Hub live, follow STX Next on LinkedIn and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That's S-T-X-N-E-X-T. Last but not least, we invite you to join our community and continue the discussion on Facebook. Just search for Tech Leaders Hub and you'll find our dedicated Facebook group. Once again, thanks for listening. Really glad you could join us. 
hope we'll see you in the next one.